Let's go to two passages today in this hyperlinked text we call the Holy Scriptures. Hebrews and then 2 Timothy chapter 3, please. 2 Timothy chapter 3 for the last message of this year, 2023. And I do have a name for 2024 for Tetelestai Phalanx, what we will call this year. Anywhere in Hebrews, but we're going to go from the first sentence to the last sentence of the book which is really in 13, 20, and 21, then there's closing greetings. You want to consider today that what was predicted by Paul to Timothy has come about in our time. He said that in the last days, hard times will come, perilous, dangerous times. And today, I want to give the primary reason why that has come about. Hebrews 2020 and 2024 will probably be called Hebrews and Hard Times. It was a homily proclaimed for hard times. It was sent into a period of history that are hard times and in which the church was undergoing apostasy or the temptation to apostatize, and we're in such a time again. I want to begin by something that might be a little shocking to you and that there is no commandment in the scripture for self-love. There is no commandment in the scripture for self-love. None. Despite translations that we will probably correct. No commandment for self-love. And the reason there are hard times is because of self-love. Self-love results in the praise of self, in glorying of self, whereas the love for God results in praise for God. And I'm calling 2024 the year of the praise of God the year of the praise of God. Now you say, what about the Lord the Spirit? You called 2023 the Lord the Spirit. Is that still relevant? Of course. The Lord the Spirit is always pertinent, always relevant, always the empower. But each year has its own particular characteristic that I like to feature or predict. And so this will be the year of the praise of God. Hebrews was written into hard times. When Christians found themselves in perilous situations, when Christians, in fact, were apostatizing and tempted to apostatize, Karl Barth asked and answered the question of apostasy in the New Covenant community. He asked the question and answered it. He said, what was and is the apostasy of the Church of Jesus Christ? Is it not the attempt to set up along with him a specifically Christian righteousness, holiness, 
and vitality. Keyword there is along with him. And for all its appearance of obedience, this attempt is in fact profoundly disobedient. It always involves secularization, an inevitable surrender of faith and love and hope, the betrayal of the church and its message and order to the powers and values and principles of the world. Powerful statement. Among those powers and values and principles of the world is the self-love that redounds to subtle or overt self-praise rather than the love of God that redounds to the praise of God and the love of the neighbor, not as oneself, as that is often translated, but rather than oneself. To love one's neighbor rather than oneself. We could even say, instead of oneself. And I will give lower blade data from the scriptures for this because our ultimate guide is the scriptures and even beyond that the revelation of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit in the scriptures. That's what we're all about. As children of God, for such we are. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God, and such we are. And as John 1.12 says, we are those who have received him who has come into the world, to whom he gave the power to be children of God. And so, as children of God, we have a twofold existence. We live already in the age that has come and remains in the age which has come and is passing away. We live both in the age which comes and remains and in the age that has come and is passing away. As Paul says, the current form of this world is passing away. 1 Corinthians 7.31, we should always remember that. And the night is almost over. The day is about ready to dawn. Put on the armor of light for the fight. And this current form of this world, which passes away, goes away with the darkness, which 1 John 2.8 says the darkness is already passing away. And the true light is already shining. Why? Because the true light has come into the world. The Logos, the Logos who gives light and life to everyone, has come into the world. As those who live in the age that has come with the coming of the eternal word into the world, we are commanded to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength. Matthew 22, 37 to 39 grabs a hold of this pretty well, as well as Mark 12, 29 to 31. As those who exist in this passing age, but not of it, we're commanded to love our neighbor as ourself. But this as ourself does not mean that we are commanded to love others and as we, as we love ourselves. 
There is no command to love ourselves there or anywhere else in the Bible. It is not a command to love ourselves, but to love our neighbor instead of ourselves. In fact, Jesus said that only the one who hates their own suke, self, can be his disciple. Anyone who comes to me and does not hate his own suke, his own life, his own self, is how it's translated in the accusative. And in fact, Gingrich and Danker tell us that, that Suke sometimes expresses a reflexive relationship and may be translated self. Anyone who comes to me and does not hate his own life can't be my disciple. Now, in another place, Jesus said this, and it's very important that we pay attention to every word. In John 12, 25, Jesus said, the one who hates his own life in this world, his own life in this world, entocosmo tuto, entocosmo tuto, in this world, that means in this age, the form of which is passing away in this transient, passing, evanescent way, to try to preserve your temporary self in a transient age is a losing proposition, is what Jesus is teaching. Now, this does not mean, in fact, far be it from this meaning, we are hardly commanded to loathe ourselves either. He's not talking about a self-loathing hatred. We're hardly commanded to love ourself in the command to love our neighbor as ourself. Self-love is a value of the world that is passing away. It's at the root of anti-Semitism, it's at the root of murder, it's at the root of prejudices and biases, it's at the root of a lot of things that are called sacred today, which in fact are the reason why our nation is going to endure judgment from the wrath of God, which is his love demonstrated in his protection of the innocent. And that sometimes means judgment of the evil. So we're hardly commanded to love ourselves. We aren't at all. Jesus said the one who hates his own life in this world will keep it. He'll guard it in a life lived by grace alone. Self-love is a value of the world that's passing away and it is in actuality a destructive value a self-destructive value and a power of destruction of others. As there is not a command to love oneself, neither does John 12, 25 and Luke 14, 26 constitute a command 
to loathe oneself either, but rather to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. And that all times four doesn't leave much room for self-love. I'm going to show this more explicitly, so don't get mad at me. You can if you want. I really don't care. As there is not a command to love oneself, neither does John 12.25 and 14.26 constitute a specific command to loathe oneself either, but rather to so love the Lord our God, to love our Lord and God Jesus Christ, as to reject ourself. That is, as to reject our privilege of exerting our will over God's will. Exerting what we want over what God has explicitly said he wants. It's a mandate for the continual repentance of the justified sinner. Yes, God has forgiven us, but we're constantly in need of forgiveness. Yes, God has reconciled us, but we're constantly in need of reconciliation. Yes, 1 John 1, 9 is a verse for our time. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins, which he has done in Christ by the poured out blood. But he will also purify us from all wrongdoing by the sprinkled blood. He has forgiven our sins through the poured out blood. He does purify us from that wrongdoing and the effects of it by the sprinkled blood on the mercy seat by the propitiation that is Jesus Christ. Self-love does not require repentance. But our life, our entire life on this, in this age, our existence in this time that has come and is passing away requires a constant repentance, a continual repentance, constant conversions, intellectual conversions, moral conversions, spiritual conversions, even the psychic conversion. By the psychic conversion, we perceive the elegance of God's nature and the elegance of his creation. So it's a mandate for the continual repentance of the justified sinner, a repentance that is granted by God's grace, by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, as we live by grace and by no other power, but grace. In this age, we must put off the old man. So to love our neighbor as we love ourselves means we're only capable of the love of our neighbor as we put off the old man, the old self. So we love our neighbor rather than ourselves. In future world, which in one sense has come already, future world will still be here when this age in which we live our secondary existence passes away. In future world, which in one sense has come already, we will love the Lord our God in totality, 
and we will not have to put off the old self, which will have been put off and in one sense has already been put off. In other words, the first and great commandment to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength is to us in our existence in the age which has come and will not pass away. And the second commandment, which is like it, which is to love our neighbor rather than ourself, is for our secondary existence in this time which has come and which, thank God, passes away, for it's an evil age, and the days are evil, and the times right now are difficult. They are more difficult than they were at any other time in the history of our nation, for example, but also in the history of Western civilization. The reason? I'll give it to you in a moment. I already have given it to you, and I'll give it to you in a moment. It is only in Jesus Christ and not in and of ourselves that we love God totally. He is our representative and our intercessor. We have nothing in ourselves to offer God. We belong to Jesus Christ who represents us and who intercedes for us in and by whom we will love the Lord our God. Barth was quoting from the King James, as some of the older theologians always do, and he said, Thou shall love the Lord thy God, thou shalt love the Lord thy God, becomes thou wilt love the Lord our God. Hopefully I just woke up Dave Wilt. Dave, are you in an overflow? I just woke you up. Get it? Thou wilt? Never mind. And I've said it before that the command you will, that you must love the Lord your God becomes you will. It becomes a promise. The command becomes a promise because it's realized in Jesus Christ, in our livingness in him. And not, not elsewhere and by no other means, but by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in this age, we seek God, and we should always be seeking God. Seek, and you will find, is a command that hangs over us throughout our entire time in this age that has come and that's passing away. The age that has come and is not passing away began with the incarnation of the eternal word. And that's an age that will not pass away when the old heavens and earth pass away. And so when Jesus gave the first great commandment, that was for the age that has come and will not pass away. And when he gave the second commandment, it was for our secondary existence in an age which has come and is passing away and will pass away. In the future world, when the future world has fully come, when the Lord has appeared and he is fully present and we fully present with him in glory, there will be no more need for us to put off the old man and there will be therefore no need for us to love our neighbor instead of ourselves. We'll simply love our neighbor and we will love the Lord our God totally. And we will, of course, call the Lord our God, Jesus Christ. My Lord and my God, said Thomas, to the Lord and God whom we are to love 
totally. And we will. That's a promise. But it's also a command. And that means that we love. We love. We are responsible to love. It is us loving. We are to love. And we are commanded to. But we will love. We're promised we will. And so that's the reason why there's these two commandments. They're called by some of the rabbinical scholars, called them the two tables of the law, the first being love for God, the second being love for the neighbor, so-called two tables. But there's a, an advance on that, and that is the first and the second command given. The first one, and the first one alone, is called the great command because it's given for an age that has come and will not pass away. The second is the second, Deutera. And it's like the first, but it is not the great commandment. And again, when the future world is fully present, when we are fully present with the Lord in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, and don't worry, he is fully present with us now. Lo, I am with you till the end of the age. There, is, there will come a moment in the eschaton when we will ever be with the Lord in glory in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. And that's when the age that has come and is passing will have passed and we will be in the age that has begun and has no passing and we will be there in glory. And so I think it's better to say that we should seek God because God has already found us. We belong to Jesus Christ already. In this age, we seek God, but in seeking God, we are seeking him who has found us. So I would amend the saying of Blaise Pascal, a famous saying, he makes Jesus say, console yourself, you would not seek me if you had not already found me. That was a, of the pensée of Blaise Pascal. That's an attractive saying, but I'm always very nervous about people who say this is what Jesus would say. <laughs> really? I think the scriptures have already pretty much informed us about that. So I would say, instead, console yourself. You would not seek me if I had not already found you. We can't stop seeking him, but we can't stop telling people that we have been found by him, reconciled to God in him. The Son of Man came to seek and to save, to seek and to save the lost. We were the lost. It is my testimony that he has sought me, that he has found me, and therefore I am seeking the one who found me. Seek and you shall find hangs over us all the time because we are always seeking the one whom we do not yet know as we ought. Always seeking. But we're seeking the one who found us. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost and he has found me. You can say the same. He has found me. God has found men and men seek him. God has found me, and I seek him. I personally 
am very careful not to put much credence in books that claim to know and report what Jesus is supposedly saying today. I don't put any confidence in them. I'm not going to tell you what to read. I never do. I don't recommend reading a lot of things, but I, it's not my job as a pastor to tell you what you can't and cannot read, cannot or can read. I've been under pastors that have said you should only listen to them and not read or listen to anybody else. I don't say that, and I don't even think it's profitable to say that. But as for me, I'm careful not to put much credence in books that claim to know and report what Jesus is supposedly saying. But I would caution you as I warn myself, let's let the scriptures be our guide. The Holy Scriptures are the sole unfailing testimony of the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. They alone are how we hear in the Holy Spirit what the Word is saying to us. In any case, let's recognize that nowhere in the Scriptures of Truth is there a command for self-love, not even in the command your you will love your neighbor as yourself. That is not a command to love self. For as yourself may well involve the overturning of self-love, in fact. Turning it upside down. Having the sense of loving the neighbor rather than or instead of yourself. Now you say you're not convinced of that because you really have fallen deeply in love with yourself. Phil has another brother, his name is Danny, he's my other brother-in-law, and one time we had a vacation, the whole family vacation together, and what we did was we sang love songs only to ourselves. So we would, and, and it was just like a funny way of keeping things going, like, I love me, I honestly love me. <laughs> or, you know, any, any love song you can think of, Say it to yourself. It's self-love. It's a funny thing in a way, but it's tragic in another way because it's the very reason why people are in the streets proclaiming the destruction of Israel. It's the very reason why things are called sacred, which in fact are blasphemous and idolatrous and self-destructive and nationally destructive. So let's look at what I mean. This is the reason for hard times. The reason for hard times is self-love. I think of a song that I think Whitney Houston sang, the greatest love of all, and you've researched, what does that mean? The love of yourself, really? Where did that take you? Where does that lead? Where does that go? You tune into these commercials, and I, I love to watch shows that are action shows, and then all of a sudden, interruption of commercials and lately I've been seeing some idiot on there telling me how she's worth it I'm worth it I'm worth it. no you're not it's all grace and none of us is worth it remember the old ad don't hate me because I'm beautiful and I always used to respond oh, it's not I don't hate you because you're beautiful I hate you because you're arrogant <laughs> Don't hate you at all, but 
This whole idea has become a destructive thing. It's psychologically destructive. It doesn't do a kid any good to teach them to love themselves and to teach them a kind of self-esteem that's apart from the Bible. It doesn't teach them about redemption from sin, forgiveness of sins, acknowledgement of sins, and of selflessness. It doesn't even teach them about Jesus Christ. So look at 2 Timothy 3. Let's look at this carefully. You say, I didn't expect this for New Year's Eve. Well, neither did I. Now know this. Here's a command for you. Know this. You've heard the, if you've ever been on a ship like Mike has been, now hear this. This is Paul the Apostle, the emissary of Christ Jesus, as he calls himself, saying, now know this. It's an imperative in the Greek. That in the last days, eskates hemerais, in the last days. Now people are always asking pastors, they, I've been asked this a lot, is this the last days? And the guy writes a book and said, is, is this the last days? And people have been playing on the last days ever since I was saved back in 72. It's always been these are the last days, the last days, the last days. Hebrews 1.2 says in these last days God has spoken to us in his son. So that's a, a term that needs to be qualified. Last days can also refer to the death rattle of a culture. In the last days of a culture. In the last days of a nation in the last days that is in the days before its final demise in the last days now know this that in the last days what does it say difficult times will be present is how you translate this exactly difficult times will be present they will be present meaning they will be pervasive in the culture they will be everywhere you turn they'll be Difficult times, hard times. There'll be, things will be made more difficult than they needed to be. And I will say to you today, not being a prophet, I will say that what Paul predicted about difficult times will be present are now present. Will be present is a Greek verb, the middle future indicative form of a verb, anistemi which is found in another form in Galatians 1.4, which says in this present evil age, which says literally the present age, an evil age. The word in 2 Timothy 3.1 is predictive of what will be pervasive, not just present, but obviously present, pervasively present, almost everywhere, ubiquitous, we could say, in the last days. Now, this could mean in the last days, of this age which is passing away. It could very well mean that. We could very well be on the verge of the coming of Jesus Christ, his second coming as it's called, of his second appearing. We could very well be. And it could very well happen before the close of 2024. In fact, it could happen before the close of 2023. There's an imminence about it. And we should never lose that imminence. The word in 2 Timothy 3.1 then is predictive of what would be pervasive in the last days, but not just the last days of the passing age, but it could be the last days of a self-destructive generation or nation or civilization. 
The explanatory gar, F the G-A-R, which is our word for, in 2 Timothy 3.2 gives the twofold reason for this. Why hard times, kalapoi times, means perilous, dangerous, difficult, hard to deal with times. Gar is explanatory. That's the Greek word that starts 2 Timothy 3.2. And then up through 3.5a, where we're going today, it gives a twofold reason for this. First, difficult times will come and be present because of what people will be. Will, what they will be. Esantai is the Greek word. You don't have to focus on that, but it will be in the notes. Because of what people will be is the reason for the hard times. And secondly, because what people will have in 2 Timothy 3.5. First, what people will be. Foremost of the characteristics is that they will be, if you have your Bible in front of you, lovers of self. You think God recommends lovers of self if lovers of self is the reason why perilous times come. You think God recommends self-love if that's the reason for hard times coming. I'll just put that question to you. Lovers of self is put first in a list of what people will be, the last being, in verse 4, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Put that whole list together and you have this, the, the brackets of the, all the lists there, the inclusio, you will have hard times have come because people will be lovers of self rather than lovers of God. That goes from the first to the last descriptor there. So if you take lovers of self first in a list, and it's primary, the last being lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And this word rather, malon, means instead of, very clearly instead of. They will be lovers of pleasure instead of lovers of God. Now this list of what people will be when hard, difficult times come are, or when they are present begins with lovers of self and ends with instead of lovers for God. So tell me where you find the command to love yourself even in the passage that says you will love your neighbor as yourself. Is there a command to love? Augustine thought so. Luther and Calvin didn't think so. I agree with Luther and I agree with Calvin on that one and disagree wholeheartedly with Augustine. I also disagree wholeheartedly with Augustine that the majority of people are going to hell because he didn't like the Greek language. That's the conclusion he came to. So the city of God for him is for a small minority of people. The city of God in the Bible is the one with 12 open gates that remain open day and night that the nations go into endlessly, meaning that everybody eventually gets saved. I'm not, I'm not teaching against that. Never will. Not now. I know it. I can't go back. The reason that difficult, difficult times are to be present is precisely because of what people are in those times. Timothy was specifically commanded to know 
that in the last days difficult times will be present. He was also commanded to know why. And then he was commanded to avoid the trends that make for hard times. That Timothy was commanded to know the imperative of Ginosko here, the strong imperative of Ginosko. You better know this. That Timothy was commanded to know this suggests that all pastors of the New Covenant community throughout this passing age should also know this, and by extension, all members of the Messianic community should know this. That is, to know that hard times will be present in the last days, and why, and how to be, and what to have in those times. Again, it is explicitly to be known that in the last days, hard times will be present, pervasive. You can see them everywhere, on the news or elsewhere. It is also explicitly clear that the reason for these difficult times, times that are kalapoi, C-H-A-L-E-P-O-I in the Greek, hard to deal with, violent and dangerous, it even says, is that people in general will be lovers of themselves instead of lovers of God. Instead of lovers of God. One rules out the other. In fact, in truth, one does rule out the other. In fact, this will be so evident that blasphemies will come easily to the self-lover. Blasphemy comes easy. You read it right in there. It says blasphemies. They easily blaspheme the name of the Lord because they love themselves. It's self-love. And they, it's fashionable, too. And so they uh, find it very easily to take the name Jesus Christ in a curse or an expression of surprise or in a fashionable way of cursing. They also find it easy to brag, to slander, to curse parents. It's all in there. It's all here. But it all begins with self-love. All these characteristics that he lists here are held to be cool, which is a new word that's displaced the old word good in their society. And it's because the root cause of them is not detected or seen by them, namely the very uncool and extremely unattractive fundamental attribute of self-love, the fact that they are deeply in love with themselves. And is this in the Christian community? Yes, it is. The whole, a lot of the Christian community, they write books about how to love yourself. Master the art of self-love. I could tell you that means something else to me. What people will be in the predictive words of 2 Timothy 3, 2, and 4 is what many people are today. Any observer of current trends and megatrends today recognizes that difficult times and violent times are obviously present. <laughs> what may not be as obvious is the reason for those hard times. That is, primarily, self-love. We hear on every side, even in television commercials, as I said, I'm worth it. Or such a product will give you the comfort or benefit you deserve. 
Apparently, they haven't seen Unforgiven lately. Deserves got nothing to do with it. And it doesn't. You deserve to have this product. Why do I deserve it? How did I earn it? Am I worthy of this product? Well, I'm worth it. Okay. Glad you think so. But the woman who says I'm worth it, does she, she loves herself and she thinks she's work, worth it. Does she love the fetus in her womb, the life in her womb that's growing? Is that life, not her body, but another life forming in her womb, is that worth it? Is he or she worth it? Well, if you're worth it, self-love ultimately eats up every other kind of love and proclaims its own rights. I always like to ask, what if Mary, the Virgin Mary, said, my body, my choice, and I choose not? Now, I'm saying this, and I have to be careful, and I am careful, because I believe in the stupendous forgiveness of Jesus Christ, the stupendous forgiveness of sins. And that if we acknowledge our sins, he's not only forgiven our sins, but he purifies us from this. And we, the things we've done in our past, and I've got a lot of them in my past that I wish I hadn't done, I have done, I have confessed, they're gone, they're forgiven, they're cleansed. I'm not talking about that to bring condemnation. But I'm wondering if the woman who thinks she's worth it thinks that others are worth it. it does not, the Bible does not say that Jesus is Mary and therefore part of her body. Jesus is separate from Mary, unless you worship Mary and worship Jesus. He is separate from Mary. The one who is formed in her, she's a carrier of that body. It's not her body and her choice. That is a statement of self-love, and I'm only saying that because I feel the wrath of God, and I don't feel the wrath of God very often. I feel the wrath of God. What he feels in his love for the innocent. What he feels for his love of the victims, the suffering victims. And what he feels for the lo his love that he feels is a wrath on the perpetrators. A wrath on a generation of self-lovers. A generation of narcissists. Self-lovers who consider their right to destroy others as a sacred right, as one senator recently said, who blasphemes. He's a blasphemer. Now, I'm just saying, if you say you're worth it, then is Israel worth it? Are the women who were raped and while being raped were being stabbed by a knife and murdered, are they worth it? Are they worth God taking vengeance on the animals that did it? Does God take vengeance on animalistic evil like that? Yes. He does. Does God blink and look away at the evils of a culture? Or does he let that culture pass by the boards? Consider A.D. 70 and consider that it happened. Consider Babylon and consider that it was destroyed. Consider Greece and the Roman Empire. 
that they were and that they were not. Kingdoms that at their height you would swear that it could never end. It can never end. Just like someone who says, I love myself so much, I know my love for me will never end. Mirror, mirror on the wall, yes, you are the fairest of them all. There's nothing more ugly than self-love. The person who is a lover of self is the ugliest person on the planet, no matter how pretty they are and how many filters they put on their websites or whatever the hell they call them now. Someone says Twitter, and they put them all together, and you got you twit face or something. Put all th- you twit face. Put all three together. Now, am I against the media? No. I believe that, as Lonergan even taught, before there was even computers as we have them now and websites, he said, I think you should use every means possible to manifest the word of God. Every means possible, and I agree. Now, I don't want to telestai phalanx to be in the realm of what God forbids, and so I'm teaching this. Self-love and self-preservation in the extreme leads to the destruction of others. It will not only not love sacrificially, but will sacrifice others to preserve one's own life. Self-love, I'll say it again, and self-preservation in the extreme will not only not love sacrificially, but will sacrifice others to preserve one's own life in this passing age, in this world, the form of which is passing away like the darkness passes away when the day dawns and comes to the full noonday cloudless splendor. And that day's coming. I want to have lived with the love of Christ controlling me when he appears. I want to be found by him in that kind of peace. Now to what people will be and have indeed become is added what they will have, what they presently have. The reason for perilous times is not only what people will be, but what they will have. And what they will have, says the emissary of Messiah Jesus, the apostle, is an outward form of piety. An outward form of piety but denying its power. A pseudo-idolatrous religiosity, in other words, but denies the power of the spiritual, true spiritual life. They will have, in other words, something they call religion, or spirituality, or Christianity, or even faith. And like Buddhism, they might even say that self-love is the primary core teaching of their religion. greatest love of all is the love by me of me I'm deliberately mocking that they deny or refuse the true dynamism of real religion or unfeigned faith hope and love in the Holy Spirit the power of true piety or godliness as it's called is the Holy Spirit who pours out the love 
of God in the hearts of the children of God. I realize to me, I think over my life, over the three or four decades that make up my life, I think the happiest times I ever had in this life, now this is human happiness, the happiest time I ever have in this life is right after I've been chastened by the Lord, disciplined by him. Went through things, you know it's discipline. Because perhaps you were living in self-love for a long time and then you amused yourself with your own self-love and found yourself amusing in your own self-love and God says, I've got to put a stop to that. So let me drop the hammer on the circumstances around their life. And then when it's over, you go, <sighs> Hebrews calls it the peaceable fruit of righteousness it comes from being chastened by God. God must think we're worth it. God must think we're worthy because of grace. God must think we're worth having repentance worked into our lives constantly. Conversions worked into our lives constantly. He must love us so much that he doesn't say, you're all right, just right there. That's as far as I want you to go. Really good. That's awesome. Like you tell your kid. The kid throws a pitch and it goes over the backstop. Good pitch. That was wonderful. That was great. No, you say that wasn't really very good at all. Let's work on that pitch until you hit the center of the catcher's glove every time. Let's work on the speed. Let's work on the technique. Let's make you better. Let's make you a good pitcher. Let's make you someone that may pitch someday for the Pittsburgh Pirates when they start winning. <laughs> Which may not be in this age that has come in his passing, but it may... Whatever. So the power of true piety or godliness is the Holy Spirit who pours out the love of God in the hearts of the children of God, which is a love which is entirely opposite a narcissistic self-love, which is so fashionable when hard times are present. Christopher Lash, I think, wrote the book years and years ago, I remember. Christopher Lash, L-A-S-C-H, Google it or something if you want, see if I'm right or wrong. He called it a culture of narcissism. Never read the book, but the title sure is catchy. Now, part of the reason that self-love and a form of godliness that denies the power thereof are together is that the idea came about through Augustine and spread through much of the church that love for oneself was a commandment from God. Of course, Augustine did not like the Greek language very much, which is why everywhere he saw the word Aeon, in the Greek, he translated it as eternal, and he came up with eternal hell and all the rest of this nonsense and evil and idolatrous heresy, the hell doctrine. The doctrine of an, a post-mortem place of eternal horrors. If you don't make the scriptures your guide, you're going to come up with stuff like that. It was not a commandment from God, self-love. 
And protests from Luther and Calvin against that notion should be appreciated. Luther himself, the more I read of Luther, the more I like Luther. The more I read of Calvin, I like some of Calvin, but I like Luther better than Calvin. Luther himself wrote this in opposition to Augustine, who lived about 12 centuries before him. He said this, Our self-love can never be anything right or holy or acceptable to God. It is an affection which is the very opposite of love. God will never think of blowing on this fire, which is bright enough already. He must have been living in perilous times. His demand, that is, God's demand is that the impulse should be, and he wrote this in Latin, oddly enough, against Augustine, everatur in caritum, which means overturned into charity or love. It is, a ver it is a value of this age which should be everatur in caritem, overturned into charity, which is the best way I can translate the Latin. Overturned into charity, turned upside down into love. And so what are we all about? We're all about living by grace in these last days through Jesus Christ. There's the phrase I love, through Jesus Christ. Anything we do that has value, that has virtue, that has power, that has rewardability is done through Jesus Christ. We've been speaking of what will be in the last days, what will be present, what will be pervasive in the last days, and which is pervasive in the last days of a place called America. But thank God, as Hebrews tells us, in the very first periodic sentence, we can go back there if you want. We'll go to the back and then the front and then, or the front and then the back and then close. In the first periodic sentence, that's one sentence, the period at the end starts in Hebrews 1 1, goes through 4. One sentence, Hebrews 1 1 to 4, called the exordium, the introduction to Hebrews. Thank God, Hebrews tells us in the very first periodic sentence, God has spoken to us in a son in these last days. God speaks to us of a selfless love in a son in these last days. In the last days when perilous times come because of self-love, thank God there is a counterbalancing of God speaking in his son of a selfless love because his son gave himself for us and put away sin by the sacrifice sacrifice of himself. Thank God. God speaks to us in these last days, in the same last days, of a selfless love in a son, of total love to God by and in a son. Who loved God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength but Jesus Christ? Who loves God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength but those who are in him and love through him and he through us. God speaks to us of a selfless love in a son, a total love to God by and in a son, of the son who loved his neighbor and gave himself for us. 
represents us, intercedes for us. The great shepherd of the sheep who has sought us and found us. We belong to him. And as we seek him, we are seeking the one who found us. We are more and more controlled by his love, the love of Christ. Self-love redounds to self-praise. The love of Christ redounds to the praise of God. Let 2024 be the year of the praise of God for to tell us thy phalanx. Let's let brotherly love continue. Go to the other end of Hebrews and look at 13.1. Let brotherly love continue. I got an inkling that we might be done with Hebrews in 2024, and I'm kind of giving a forecast of it, but I don't know that. Let's let brotherly love continue, which is letting the love of Christ continue. Why? Because he's not ashamed to call us brothers. Hebrews 2.11. Brotherly love continuing is letting the love of Christ control us. And yes, that includes love for Christ controlling us. And through Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and to the ages, Hebrews 13.8, as the thought goes on. Through Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and to the ages. Through Jesus, look at verse 12, who suffered outside the gate so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. Hebrews 13.12. Let's go out to him. Suffer the reproach that happens when you don't engage in self-love and do not put your stamp of approval on self-love, which is the very essence and value and power of secularism or this world that's bringing this nation down. And the more people live in self-love, the more they will hate Jesus Christ and followers of Jesus Christ. Now, you look at people like the Pope. He's already sold out, obviously, sold out to the secular world. I don't know how people stay following. First of all, not, I don't want to get into the whole fact of someone being a commie or anything like that because I don't want to make political commentary today, but not only do they say you have to do certain things, but if you're under our authority, you got to do this certain things, and you better do those certain things. I, I reject the hierarchical church, no matter how, what form it's in, and I've left its form twice. Now, Let's let brotherly love continue, and through Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and to the ages, through Jesus who suffered outside the gate, that he might sanctify the people by his own blood, let us continually what? Offer up what, says verse 15, a sacrifice of praise. Let us offer up what? A sacrifice of praise. Continue, like the continual burnt offering of the Old Testament, let us offer up a continual sacrifice. You cannot 
let brotherly love continue without having a continual sacrifice of praise. Brotherly love, as demonstrated by Jesus Christ's love controlling us, redounds to, results in, reverberates as praise to God. There's a sacrifice that's acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's acceptable. Now, even though you don't love yourself in the sense of narcissism, you're, I have to tell you, you're doing the best you can for yourself if you love God. The love of Christ redounds to the praise of God. So in 2024, the year of the praise of God for to tell us thy phalanx, let it be that. This continual sacrifice, like the eternally efficacious once and for all self-sacrifice of Jesus, by which the world was, when Jesus loved his neighbor, he even loved his neighbor instead of himself. Because what he endured on the cross, his neighbor doesn't endure. The rest of the world does not endure. He endured it instead of us. Because he loved us instead of self-loving himself. He loved God so much that he obeyed him and he obeyed his salvific will, his universally saving will. You say, how come you can believe in and feel the wrath of God? Because the wrath of God does exert itself within the sphere of eternal redemption and universal salvation, within it. AD 70 did happen after A.D. 30. Don't be naive. Anything said or done, I will close with this, anything said or done that redounds to the glory and praise of God is said and done through Jesus Christ, our representative, our intercessor, our Lord. For as the last two verses before the closing greetings in the Hebrews homily say, this, this is like Romans 15, 13 was the last verse in Romans before Paul just talked about other stuff that he had to talk about at the end, 14 and following. Hebrews homily ends with verse 21. So it ends with the verses 20 and 21. And then he talks about closing greetings. So these are the very last, like Romans 15, 13, that's one for the fridge. That's one to live by. Romans 15, 13, you live by that, you live by all of Romans. Same with Hebrews 13, 20 to 21. My translation reads like this, and we'll close with it. Now may the God of peace, that's the one who effected reconciliation of the world, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep with the blood of the everlasting covenant, our Lord Jesus, equip you completely with every good thing to do his will, producing in you that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory to the age of the ages of the ages. Amen. Take it away, Victoria.